What a beautiful and glorious day it is. Am I on? We're checking. We're seeing. Yes, maybe. We'll see. All right. So you can hear me now. Very good. As I said, was saying, what a beautiful and glorious day it's been already. And uh, we're just going to continue today to uh, rejoice in our great God and His Son, Jesus Christ, and the indwelling Holy Spirit as we open His Word. Open the Word of God to John chapter 11, verses 17 through 27 will be our focus this morning. But we're going to start with John 11, verse 1 to get a running start and remind us kind of where we are in that narrative. So John 11, starting with verse 1 today. As we often say, and to remind ourselves and to, to ground our hearts in what we believe, this is the Word of God. This is the Word of God. And we believe it. And we, with the power of the Holy Spirit, live it. And we love it. Starting with verse 1. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, Let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and are you going there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble, because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles, because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he meant taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas called the twins, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, 
Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Let's pray together. Father, this is your word, and we read of your living word, your Son, Jesus Christ. Father, may you open our hearts to the reality of the truth of this gospel today. May you open my mouth to proclaim it accurately and boldly. And may you open our hearts, Lord, to believe it, to receive it, and to live it out in reality even today. We pray for those who may not have yet to believe in your Son, that they would do so and be saved, that they also may be raised to life. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. It's funny that um, each week, it seems, for the last three or four weeks, we almost begin every introduction with, this is the most important question that anyone could ever ask you. Because each week, there are questions that, that come from the text. And again, this week, we have another very important, probably the most important question that could ever be asked, which is, do you believe this? Do you believe this? If you're sitting there right now, you're, as a believer, you're saying already, yes, I do believe this. But maybe as a friend of one of the baptism candidates or a, a friend that's come here today, or, or maybe, maybe you're a poser. Maybe you're here, but, but, but you have made a profession of faith, but you have not put your full trust and hope in Jesus Christ. Today is the day of salvation. And so I would, even before we preach this sermon to you, to have you consider that question. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Throughout John's uh, testimony today, his passage today, this narrative, there are four elements that we're going to see. The problem, the plea, the proclamation, and the profession. And as we work through these, at the end, you will be able to put your hope and trust in Jesus Christ, having heard this gospel proclaimed to you. And for believers, we will again be able to refresh our hope in Christ, to, to, to understand that, yes, we do believe this, and we have great hope of resurrection and life, not just in the future, but even right now. So let's get started. Number one, number one, the problem. Look at verse 17 with me. Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. Number one, the problem. What's the problem here? What is the problem? It's simple. The problem is Lazarus is dead. That's the problem here. Lazarus is dead. John has told us earlier that Lazarus was ill, and now his illness has gone from bad to worse, and finally this illness has claimed its victim. Lazarus has not just slipped away, but no, his Jesus' friend Lazarus has been in the tomb, the Scripture tells us, four days. Four days. Leon Morris tells us, and many other commentators tell us, that there was a Jewish belief that when anyone died, the soul of the dead person lingered in the vicinity for three days uh, before departing. But by the fourth day, the soul had left, which meant there was no longer any possibility that the soul would reenter the body and recovery could take, could take place. So what Jesus has done, remember Jesus tarries. When he hears that Lazarus is sick, he, he doesn't immediately go there. And I believe what he's trying to do is confirm and show for, for, for so clearly 
that there is no possibility that this man could recover somehow. He's not swooned. He's not getting better like a, some Monty Python, you know, you're dead. I'm not dead yet. I'm getting better. No, it's not like that. Jesus comes, and when Jesus comes, Lazarus is dead. Lazarus is dead. Every last hope was gone. Every last hope was gone. It reminds me of when our son Hayden was, was ill. Most of you know that when Hayden was born, he's 17 months old, he was diagnosed with leukemia. And uh, we went about going through all the traditional methods of chemotherapy. And the chemotherapy went on and on, and then we thought the cancer had been gone away and, and, and he, he was going to be in remission, but instead the cancer came back. And then we had a bone marrow transplant, and that also failed. And there was a point at which our doctor at, at, at Memorial Hospital set my wife and me down and said to us, we don't have tools big enough in our toolbox to defeat Hayden's cancer. You should go home and enjoy the time you have left. Maybe you've been there. A time in your life when all hope felt banished, where you felt at the very end of your rope at, and, 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 and grasping for some hope, for some, for some help. Jesus shows up after Lazarus has been in the tomb four days. Our doctor, you see, was looking at our problem through human eyes. But God had another purpose for the Bryan family. And God had another purpose for our son Hayden. And God had another purpose for Lazarus suffering and death. God had another purpose for Lazarus suffering and death. For Jesus said, we heard last week, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. God has another purpose for Lazarus and another purpose for his death. Our prayer, brothers and sisters, should be when facing, when facing suffering in this life, when facing even death, Lord, glorify yourself through my suffering. Lord, glorify yourself through my death. Glorify myself through, through whatever it is that I'm going on. So John continues. He tells us that, that Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. That's in verse 18. I believe he tells us this for a number of reasons. First, he's, he's telling us that, that basically Jesus is showing up in the middle of a funeral. It was customary to have seven days of mourning, and even, even some commentators say even maybe a longer period of time, but definitely seven days. And so Jerusalem is only a walking distance away, two miles. And so Jews from Jerusalem have come. They're there. They're on the fourth day of the time of mourning, and Jesus shows up right in the middle of a funeral. So people are there mourning uh, alongside the grieving family. I believe also John is letting us know that there's plenty of witnesses to what is about to happen. But I believe also there's another reason that John tells us that Jerusalem was only two miles away. What John is doing is setting this passionate story of death and resurrection 
in the grand story of the ultimate death and resurrection that is to come. Remember, John keeps telling us that the day is not yet over. He's moving toward Jerusalem. Jesus is moving toward Jerusalem. And John reminds us we're only two miles from Jerusalem. Jerusalem is almost here. Jerusalem is coming in only a few days. It's only a few days that Jesus will be in Jerusalem where he will be crucified. And there he will die for our sins and he will be resurrected for our justification. This is the climax of the gospel. This is the crux of our Christianity. This is why Jesus came. This is where the seven signs in John have been pointing us. Remember, we talked about these signs that keep pointing us toward the, toward the cross. You see the sign, and the sign points not to itself. The sign points to something else, right? When you get on the 405 freeway, you don't drive up to the sign that says 405 and stop there and go, I've arrived. The 405 is pointing you to San Diego, right? I'm on the San Diego freeway. I'm going that way. These miracles, these signs have been pointing us, each one, each one, each one, to move on to some destination, and that destination is the cross. These signs are pointing us to the cross. Well, that brings us to number two, the plea. The plea. So, verse 20, when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you have been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. It's interesting, isn't it, that these sisters respond differently. Mary, John tells us, stays in the house. And he even says that she's seated. She's sitting down in the house. And I, and I take from that, that that maybe she doesn't have the strength to go out. Maybe she's in her mourning, she's there, she's quiet, and she's still in her mourning, surrounded by the, the mourners who are with her, being comforted by them. Grief is experienced in different ways, isn't it? Some in stillness, some in motion and activity. And while Mary sits in her grief, thinking of what might have been, thinking maybe that her Savior, her, her, her Messiah, Jesus, has not been there to heal him, to heal Lazarus, Martha instead gets up, and Martha is in motion. I can't sit still. I've got I've to do something. I've got to do something. And she's looking. And you wonder if they have not... Knowing, knowing that they've sent for Jesus, if she's not every time checking the door, looking outside, seeing if Christ is coming, and he tarries, and he tarries, and he tarries, and he doesn't show, and Lazarus dies, and they bury him, and now she looks out, and there she sees him coming toward the house. Mary sits, and Martha runs. Martha runs out, and she goes to meet Jesus. Out of love, out of devotion, out of desperation, she makes her plea. Lord, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Martha, Martha knew something of the power of Jesus. We hear her faith here, but I don't believe that there's regret. You could almost hear the sisters talking as their brother lay ill. If only Jesus were here. If only Jesus were here. Our brother would get better. But now Martha believes he's, he's beyond help because he's in the tomb four days. 
Martha says this too, but even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Leon Morris says in his commentary that Martha goes on to express confidence that God would give Jesus whatever he asked. This looks as though she had some thought maybe of Lazarus being raised from the dead, but this is ruled out later by her later words when she strongly objects to the opening of the tomb in verse 39. I mean, she doesn't want the tomb open. So, so, so clearly here, she's not thinking of Jesus raising Lazarus. She's probably saying something like this. If you, were hit, if you had been here, my brother would not have died, for I know that God gives you whatever you ask, even though he has died. I, I know that. She has hope and she has trust in, in Jesus, but, but he just didn't make it on time. He wasn't here. If he had been here, Lazarus wouldn't have died. That brings us to the proclamation. The proclamation. Jesus says to her, your brother will rise again. Your brother will rise again. And Martha says to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Martha is thinking about the final resurrection, that thing that will happen at the, at the end of time, at the end of days, when all that believe, all that are God's people will be raised again. And she agrees with Jesus. I, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. But here's something else I believe that Martha is thinking. Martha is thinking that Lazarus' death is the only real problem. The physical death of Lazarus is her real problem. She's looking right in front of her. And can you blame her because she's lost her dear brother? She's looking at her circumstances that are, that are right there in front of her. If only you had been here, Jesus, my brother would not have died. If only you had been here, Jesus, you could have fixed my marriage. If only you had been here, Jesus, I wouldn't have lost my job. If only you had been here, Jesus, this state wouldn't be in the condition it's in. If only you had been here, Jesus, I would have, I could have, I should have. If only you had been here, Jesus. We forget that we have a deeper and more profound problem than just the circumstances that are going on around us. Our problem is not out there. Our problem is in here. Like Lazarus, without Jesus, we too are dead. Like Lazarus, without Jesus, Martha is dead. Ephesians 2 tells us this. Paul, the great apostle, writes to Christians. He's writing to you, believer. And you, and he makes it personal. You can see kind of Paul's bony finger pointing me in the chest. Bink, right? And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. The idea here is that, is that you're participating. If you're walking in sin, you are participating. You're actively involved in sinning. You are doing it. You're walking in your sin. You were following the course of this world following the prince of the power of the air. Who's that? Satan. The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived. Paul is telling us we weren't all good people. 
We're still not all good people. We're sinners, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Christian, you were dead. You were dead. And friend, if you have yet to put your hope and trust in Christ, you are dead still. But there is hope for you, and there's hope for us. Listen to Jesus' astounding proclamation. Jesus says to her, and through the Scriptures, He speaks to us. Verse 25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Leon Morris again says this, Jesus does not say that he brings about resurrection and gives life. Notice, he doesn't say that. I bring resurrection, I bring life. He says, he is the resurrection. He is the life. So closely are they linked to his person. He is the resurrection. He is the life. This is one of the I am statements. The seven I am statements in in, in the Gospel of John. Quickly, he says, I am the bread of life. Jesus says this, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger. He who believes in me shall never thirst. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. He says, I am the door of the sheep. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. He says here, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And finally, he says, I am the true vine in John 15. And the Father is the vine dresser. He who, he who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do no thing. You can do nothing. Here, Jesus proclaims one of the great I am's. I am the resurrection and the life. Life is connected with Jesus here in the closest possible way. In John 5, the Father, uh, John says, The Father has life in Himself and is given to the Son to have life in Himself. This idea, the life of the Father and of the Son, is distinguished from all other life. This means that the divine life is of a different quality from ours. I'm alive, you're alive right now, but if we die... What's going to happen to the world? Is it going to cease to exist? Is something going to happen? No, we're going to pass out of this life and the world's going to pretty much go on without us. A little blip on the radar. Not so with God. It is not that He happens to be alive, but that His life is a necessary life and the source of all other life. Jesus is the source of all life. I heard a pastor one time say, if Jesus stopped thinking about you, you would poof out of existence. <laughs> be a little ash here on the, you know, I don't know what, what I would, t- I would be gone, right? 
Jesus is the source of all life. And if you cut off the source, there is no life. This reality has consequences. Jesus says, whoever believes in him, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who, believe, who lives and believes in me shall never die. What, what does Jesus mean? He means this, faith in Jesus Christ brings the believer into the vital contact of the source of life. Faith in Jesus Christ brings us into contact with the source. Jesus is the source of life. And he gives the believer the kind of life that death can never touch. We have the kind of life that death can never touch. Yes, the believer will physically die. All of us will die. We've been to funerals, haven't we? Only recently, we, we, we were at the funeral of our dear friend, Pastor Rob Rottweiler, pastor of Sovereign Grace Bible Church. Taken so quickly, taken so early, a year younger than, than myself. Yes, every person will physically die. But that death is not the end of his life because he is inextricably connected to the source of all life, Jesus Christ. Believers have life now, and that life will continue in a glorified fashion as we step through the gateway that is physical death. So all believers can say with the Apostle Paul, O death, where's your victory? O death, where's your sting? In modern terms, it would be, that's all you got? <laughs> Is that it? There's no, there's no victory. There's no sting. For those of us who love Jesus, we can really live. Why? We can really live in the face of a pandemic. We can really live. Why? Because we're not afraid to die. We're not afraid to die. We can really live because of that. We think of Jim Elliott and other great missionaries. We think of the, the martyrs. We think of the early apostles, many giving their lives, going into dangerous places, involved in dangerous situations. Why? Because they weren't afraid to die. And when you're not afraid to die, you can really live. I remember being at um, my grandmother's funeral on my dad's side, Mamaw Helen. And Mamaw Helen loved the Lord. And I remember she had cancer and she knew that she was passing. We had brought her home and she was living with my mother and father. And I was not there when this happened, but my, my dad talked to me about it. And they, they came home from church that day. And my, my, my younger brother's a pastor. And so they'd gone to church, my brother had preached, and they'd sung songs and done all the things that Christians do, and they came home, and my grandmother was sitting outside on the steps, and my dad walked outside and sat down next to her and said, Mom, how are you doing? How are you doing? And she said, Well, son, I feel like that song we sang this morning at church. It is well with my soul. It is well with my soul. And I remember one year uh, later, probably a year or two later, I was at a, a teacher training program that I was a part of. 
And there were lots of unbelievers there, and they asked us to share some things culturally about who we were. And so uh, I, being the person I am at my public school, Los Angeles Unified School District, brought my Bible, brought a picture from my uh, grandmother's funeral that we just had, and a, a few other uh, little mementos, and, and stood up as other people shared their Dodgers hats and, you know, what other things they had, skateboards or whatever it was that was their identity. I pulled out my Bible. <laughs> said, I'm a Christian. This is the Word of God. This is what I believe. And because I believe this, I just was at a funeral. I had this big picture that was taken of our family. We passed it around. And people were passing my little picture, you know, like 30, 30 teachers and administrators all looking at this picture of these group of people, the Bryan family, all smiling, big smiles, posing for the camera. And someone mentions, man, you guys look really happy. <laughs> I said, we are. It's like this cognitive dissonance you could see in the room. You're at a funeral. Say, well, yes, <laughs> we're grieving at the passing of my grandmother, but we're happy because she's with Christ. She's with the Lord. When you know Christ, you're not afraid to live. You're not afraid to die because you, you can really live, right? I said it backwards, didn't I? <laughs> Jesus said to her, verse 25, back in the scriptures, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And then here's that question. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Do you believe this? As a pastor of this church over many years, it has been my great privilege to ask those kind of questions over time and to see people's countenance change from this, you know, to maybe this, to this, to this. <laughs> and then people sometimes saying, can I be baptized? I do believe this. I do believe this. That brings us to part four, the profession. How does Martha respond? Jesus says, do you believe this? And she says to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Martha's profession of faith has content. It's not just some emotional experience. It's not just her passion. It's not just what she believes uh, it, it, away from any intellectual content. It has real content. First, she says that Jesus is the Christ. He's the Jewish Messiah who was to come. And Martha believes that he uh, now has come in the person of Jesus Christ. He is the Christ. He is the Savior. He is the Messiah. Second, she believes that he is the Son of God. Throughout John's gospel, he only calls believers children of God, but he reserves this term only for Jesus Christ, the Son of God. You see, here we're reminded that the Son of God is begotten and not made. He is the only begotten Son of God, God of God. All other sons of God or, or children of God are adopted sons. Do you understand that? There's only one only begotten Son of God. Jesus Himself is only begotten. The rest of us are all adopted. 
She believes that about Jesus. Finally, she says, he is the Christ who is to come into the world. This speaks of his incarnation. It speaks of his divine nature. It speaks of his deity. You see, because she knows that Jesus is from another place. Jesus is not a worldly man, not a mere man. He is from heaven. As John says in his prologue, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. And that light, which also the word, uh, Jesus, God, God says, uh, I'm sorry, John says, is the word here. He tells us about the word, which is the light, was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. And so when Jesus makes his great proclamation, then Martha makes her profession of faith. Yes, she does believe. She believes that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, who was to come into the world. And now this is the time we wrap it up and we make this a little personal. We've talked about four elements here, the problem, the plea, the proclamation, and the profession. But friend, today, these, three, these four points speak of you as well. Number one, the problem. You have a problem. You have a problem. You are dead. You are dead in your sin, Scriptures tells us. But there is a plea, a plea for you that you may cry out to Jesus, knowing that with Jesus you may live you may be resurrected. You may have life. And how do we do that? Because of Jesus' great proclamation. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And finally, you too may make this profession. Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. This morning, in a moment, we have the opportunity to see five saints being baptized into Christ in a, in, a, in a physical acting out of this very thing. Being alive, dying and being buried, and being resurrected. And the, their baptism points to this very reality this morning. And so in a moment, we're going to rejoice with them, but now let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for loving us. We thank you for your son. We thank you for your gospel. We pray this morning that even now, if there are those who have yet to put their hope and trust in you, that they would do just that. That they would believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and that by believing him, they may have life in his name. We love you today. We pray this all in your son's name. Amen.